Are you sick of hearing you don't have enough experience to get work? Visit iPath.com to get the first part of our auto damage certification for free. Hello and welcome to the Independent Adjuster Podcast by IAPath. My name is Chris Stanley, and we're here to help you figure out how to get work in this industry and ultimately how to claim your life. How do independent adjusters and appraisers like us, who can't hide behind corporate logos, processes, and profits, who are spending our own money and reputation, how do we work in a way that lets us get work, assignments, deployments, and more income without wasting time or money in this world of insurance while we stand out in the crowd? That is the question, and this podcast will help guide you to the answers. My name is Chris Stanley, and this is the Independent Adjuster Podcast. Join myself and other independents on the path to non-corporate success in the insurance industry. We are IAs. All right, adjusters, welcome to the Independent Adjuster Podcast, or if you happen to be watching on YouTube, the Auto IA Show. Uh, with me today is Brian Falchuk. Now, I want to call him a best-selling author because that's what he is, the best-selling author of The Future of Insurance and his upcoming book, I'm going to predict, will be another bestseller once it officially releases. Brian, when is the official release date? And thanks for being here. Yeah, it's, it's always great to talk to you, Chris. It's, uh, it's coming out officially on June 22nd. Man, that's just a few days from recording. So hopefully I can get this out from recording. Yeah, no pressure. A week from recording. No (laughs) pressure. Um, And now Brian and I, since our last conversation, have gotten to know each other a lot better than when I had first interviewed him. And and Brian lives in a space that we all wish we kind of had, which is the lens of where are things going, right? And we all try to predict where our life's going, where our kids are going, where where our jobs are going. We wish we knew, but you're doing something even bigger. You're trying to predict and understand by analysis where this massive trillion plus dollar industry is going called insurance. So Brian, why in the heck would you choose that as your mission right now as a career? Yeah. Well, so like, you know this about me. I've got this other side of my life that's all like self-help and coaching and development and stuff. And actually, I like I love doing that. I love helping people see like, you know, where am I stuck and how can I move ahead? And I feel like as long as I've been in this industry, that's been the story. It's like, oh, we're, you know, we're old, we're slow, we're this, we're that. We got all these complications and and um, And you're talking about the old insurance companies, that we're old, well, we're stuck. I'm talking about the, the industry, right? And and I think actually the reality is Yes. And whether you're at a startup or legacy, this is all true. Like we all face lots of complications as we do in every other part of our life. What if we could move past that? And so, um, you know, whether I'm making like accurate predictions about where the industry's going, I don't know. Um, I think anyone who's making future predictions, like supposedly we'd all be driving flying AI based cars by now, not just like, or we wouldn't be driving them at all. Right. Elon Musk said we'd be on Mars by 2020. I'm pretty sure. So I think we missed it. Yeah, I, I think we're already there and we just, yeah, we, we missed the news cycles on something else. Um, 
but actually wh what I care about is like, this industry is crazy important as much as people make fun of it and oh, it's boring or whatever, like the worst things that people ever go through, that's when we're there. And that's when we're supposed to be there. And that's really important to me. So to have that purpose and that need, and to also feel like I can't do anything, my hands are tied, I'm stuck. Those two things don't jive for me. So what I'm trying to do is help people see a path to that future, regardless of what it looks like. And for some, it could be exciting. For some, it could be scary. But either way, like if that mission excites you of standing by people and helping them in the, their worst moments, then you should want to engage in that change. And so there is a lot changing. And the question then is like, well, how do we move with it? And how do I stay relevant? How do I contribute to that? So that, you know, that kind of noble cause of the industry gets to play out and I get to be a part of that. I, and I not mean it me personally, like any eyes out there, any, any of, of us in the insurance yeah. ecosystem. Right. So, so that, when you did the first deal. book, which was, I'm going off of memory here, but the incumbents, right? Right. So the right. future of insurance, part one, the incumbents. Yeah. I don't think that's what you titled it initially. It was, I think it was just, just the, the future, future of insurance. insurance. Yeah. I didn't, did you I have didn't... plans for a second book? Did, did, did that I, pop in your head? I like, mean, I thought like, maybe? what if, but it didn't really occur to me. Um, yeah, I was just sort of like th this whole moment of like, you know, we're all stuck and how do we move forward? And then we got all these startups coming in and they're they're threatening me too. like, what do I do? And I just I wanted to speak to that. And I was very focused on that moment. And it's been since going on that journey and the conversations I've had and the people I've met and all that. It's like, well, what about the startups like they're, you know, the grass is not green anywhere. I keep saying this, like unless you garden. So the reality is like. People are like, oh, the startups having so easy because they don't have any of this baggage. It's like, well, okay, they have some of it. They still have regulations and they got other stuff they got to deal with. And that's really interesting. We can take lessons from that. And, you know, what about the solution providers? And what about the the vendors and the partners we work with? And what about the brokers and agents? Like every piece of this There's industry. so much. There's so yeah. much. And I know that my audience specifically we can lose them really easy in this conversation. So let's back it up two, three steps and say, oh, yeah, okay, Brian, book one, give it to me in a sentence. What was book one? Um, book one was the most important message of it is you got to figure out what customers really care about and connect with them on that. And that's what will show you the path ahead. And that's, and that's that true whether was you're focused by looking at the stories of the more what we call legacy insurance the ones who have been yeah. around for 10 so the, plus years the right stories came from them but the reality is that lesson is universal and it, it's not just if you're a carrier like if you're in an ia and you know you're out at someone's house or someone's car or wherever you're doing your adjusting work and you know i'm a claims guy like i was running claims before i went to the insurtech side so this is the world that i came from if you're if you're there you're the cold face with that customer so you even more than a lot of the folks who, you know, are making the promise on behalf of the carrier will never get to connect with the customer like you are. That message is so important, whether you're at a carrier or not. So I think it's really universal. It's not just because the stories were legacy doesn't mean the lessons are. Love that. Good point. I think you realize that in retrospect and it's a gem. I love it. Don't lose it. All right. Book two, uh, book two in a sentence. What is it? different how's it different than the first yeah um so the stories are different it's it's all legacy it's, sorry it's all startup insurers and so you know the context is different it's about their journeys really interesting stuff to dig into the takeaways again are universal though and the one that really stands out to me that i think we all need to keep in mind is you have to create uh, a real advantage 
So like, why do you get to exist? Why do you get to compete in the market? Why do you get someone to choose for you to be the one who serves them? It's not, you know, we think the startups, like they got a clean sheet, so they have it easy. Like that's not good enough because someone else will have a cleaner sheet soon enough. And, you know, they lack the heft of an existing company. They lack the capital and all. So it, it's not as simple as just being new. You need a real reason to exist. And that exists, that, that message exists, whether you're 200 years old or 200 minutes old, you need a reason to be in this market because there's too much or it's too commoditized. Like no one knows the difference between their carriers and then they fall down to like, which is cheaper. And the same is true for adjusters. It's like, who's gonna win the contract? The one who bids the least. And that's not leading us in a great place unless you're the one who does the best job and creates the best value. So like, that's how you can overcome it. And so I think that message of real advantage is, is really universal for anyone in the industry. No, I love that. And, and what you said is, is dead on how if, if you're an IA, if you're a company, you got to know what the problem you're solving basically is. Well, what yeah. is the problem your customers are having? And then two, what, um, why are you doing what you're doing? Right? right. Like, what is your, your, your deep drive that's going to keep you going? What keeps Brian going? What keeps I, uh, myself going with iPath? Like, it can't just be something flimsy or we're going to snap at the first hard moment, which there's one, it seems like almost every day right, yeah. with a company. Right. And so um, I love that. And that is universal. It's, it's business. It's business. Period. It's, yeah. It's not even insurance. It's, but we lose sight of it. And I think with all the insure tech talk that's been going on, I think we really lose sight of it because people, ooh, that's new. That, oh, they said AI. Let me listen to that one. And you know, a few years ago, it was either drone or blockchain. If you didn't have one of those two words, like, oh my gosh, you're drone, not yeah. It, what happened? I know I that's still a don't sensitive see them word. doing roof inspections. It's yeah. not near what they thought it would be. It's right. interesting. It's a, it's a great, valuable even, tool, but it's not supplanting. Right. And even thinking back, like, I think your podcast or your presentation that you did for us, we put a drone on your thing because that was what was hot then. Yeah. Like was people wanted to know if drone was the future of insurance. And it's and it's totally proven that like maybe, but man, apps, whatever come and go, drones come and go, but the core of why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. What problem are you solving? That never leaves. So I love that. Uh so what was the biggest aha you've had? from book one to now finishing book two what what's yeah. the thing that you didn't see coming that's a, that's an interesting question um i think a big piece of it is is the universality of it like i did expect that yeah there'd be some line drawn where like well this is really just for the startups and and an example of that is you made me boil it down to like one sentence but there's there's three major takeaways from each book so it's more than one sentence but one of them from the second book is about capital and like you know we talk about startups we're talking about like venture capital and investment and all that and you don't you don't generally think of that when you think of an incumbent player like that's an established business like they're not going out trying to raise money and maybe through like different stock market and debt stuff. But like, generally, it's not like if we don't raise $8 million by next month, we are out of business. Like that doesn't tend to happen in the incumbent space. Um, so I didn't expect that to translate. What I realized is I was oversimplifying the idea of capital. There's more to capital than just like who's putting money in. There's also your backing capacity. So like the the reinsurers that you work with, or you're, if you're an MGA, you don't have your own capital structure, like your own insurance company behind you. So you have to rely on an existing one. That means like an upstart needs a legacy player. 
And so there's there's a partnership story there, but there's also like, that's where the story then starts translating more broadly, is who are your partners? How strategically aligned are you with them? Because there's a story in the book where one of these MGAs, a, a homeowners that became a carrier, homeowners insurer now, um, they almost went out of business in an instant because their capacity pulled the plug on them in an instant because they were not strategically aligned and they felt like you just, you know, stabbed us in the back and surprised, like, that's a problem. Well, take that back to the legacy world where you have reinsurance as well. You know, even the biggest of the big still reinsure stuff. What if they're not being communicative? What if they're not being honest and open and talking about what we're doing with this line of business and what our loss experience is and, and talking about the big losses? What happens at renewal time? That reinsurance contract is gonna be problematic. Maybe they can't renew it or maybe their rates go up dramatically. That could put that line of business in jeopardy for that incumbent carrier. We take that more broadly for the industry are you talking to your partners in an open and honest way? You know, because sometimes, like you said, like we're gonna have a challenge tomorrow, it's inevitable, like something's gonna come up and the partners who you need are the ones who you've been honest with and are gonna stand by you because you've been open with them about it. So this this notion of like, whether it's, it's actual money or capital in the sense of partnership capital and support, um, if you're not being open and honest and clear with them and finding that you're strategically aligned, something's not going to work and it could just be that they want you to cut your price by 10 bucks per case next time around it's like oh we're already running bare bit bare minimum i don't just want to be the cheap one yeah right but like if we're aligned and we feel like we're true partners in this and i'm not just a vendor to you then we're not going to get get in that kind of game so it's i think this alignment thing uh coming from capital surprised me at how universal it was because i really thought it'd just be about venture capital and that was that and that's you know that's just a startup issue really Gotcha. So taking you on a total side tangent that I, I wanted to explore yeah. when you started talking early on in the interview is, okay, so you're doing this future of insurance thing. You're, you're doing it all the time. My gosh, you're doing conferences and conferences and video calls and podcasts. And I, I wish I had the kind of stick to itness of interviews and things that you do. You are always doing something. Always um, hustling. Yeah, always hustling <laughs> on the future of insurance side. But you mentioned earlier, that's not all you do. You have yeah. an entire other side that most of us never see unless we maybe catch a post here or there. So tell us, what is Brian Falchuk doing other than the future of insurance? Yeah, so you know, I what I try to do really broadly, regardless of the context, is help people see something in themselves so they can overcome their challenges. And like, you know, I don't I don't change anybody. You change yourself. But if I can put something out there or talk to you about something or work with you on that issue so you can look at it differently and look at yourself differently so that then you have the capability to overcome, that's my intention. Um, and so I do, you know, executive coaching and leadership coaching and I have some other books. Like this is my fourth book. So people are like, wait, four? I thought this is only volume two. It's like, well, this is a second insurance book, but it's my fourth book overall. Um, you know, just like you, you've got different sides to what you do. We're, we're all multifaceted and actually I think like if you don't have hobbies, if you don't have other things to engage in, you're probably going to feel like something's missing. And I have more that pulls me and I love engaging with people. So, you know, that's kind of me. It's like I'm always putting out something to try to help move us forward. Well, I would think and correct me if I'm wrong or expand on it. Has that helped you like looking through it through the lens of executive coaching when you come into these companies and you say, I want to hear your story and they're, they're sharing yeah. their journey of the, whether it's a startup or a legacy and you're going, 
oh my goodness like has that helped you see things that maybe other people 100%. have missed yeah because like empathy is at the heart of everything right from from you know adjusting to helping like business strategy or whatever because it's not like if, if a company's stuck on some technology thing it's not because they have a le old legacy tech system like that might be true but that's not really why they're stuck because they can move off that it might be hard it might be expensive but they can so why are they really stuck it's not like they've, they've just abdicated they've just said like well that's the system we have what can we do about it it's like you could change it or there's solutions you can put on that are really lightweight that sit on top of it so you still have it because that's a huge investment to move off of it there's new stuff that it's like what we use day to day will feel fluid and be flexible and have apis and like all the tech stuff that we need so that we can use all these modern tools that are out there without having to uproot everything right so like there are solutions out there the question is why aren't you engaging in them and that's a very different kind of mindset to to talk to someone about which to me falls back on the training that i've had and the experience i've had on the like the personal development side because that's really what it's about it's like why is that executive stuck in the way that they are why are they refusing to engage? There's a lot in... of executives that have to say yes before something can happen. Yeah. So that's a huge. It's a big lift. Self-developmental curve there. Yeah, yeah. But usually, like, you got to know who to hit, right? It's it's typically at the top, and like, if you get buy-in at the top, the rest will follow. And there's different companies that hierarchically and like politically work differently, so you got to figure out how to navigate them. But it's very rare that like if the C CEO says like, no, we're going to make this change, that everyone else doesn't change. And it's also very rare that if this, if everyone wants to change and the CEO thinks what they have is just fine, that they're going to change because they won't. So like that's, and that's sometimes hard for me to see is like, you feel from those frontline people, it's like, we're trying to do the best for these poor people who've had, you know, a tree fall through their house or whatever. And look what we have to work with. And I see it and like having been a claims guy, I know how painful that is. Um, and I know what the customer's feeling having to deal with that kind of service because the tools aren't there. And then I have a CEO who's like, no, it's fine. Like, why? I know where to get all the data. It's like, yeah, but what happens if you're not here? Then no one knows how to get all the data. Or like, you got to think bigger yeah. than that. And you're not handling any of these claims. You're not underwriting any of these policies or paying any of these bills or issuing checks or any of the things that are complicated here. So maybe you don't have the answer. And that's a, I would say like the best CEO basically wants to put themselves out of a job. They should want to make themselves irrelevant to the company. Even if they're not, that should be their desire because that's a sign of a really successful winning organization when the CEO is irrelevant. I think that's awesome, but that's a tough thing to get someone to be comfortable with. Yeah, and the ones on. who do, you see like their heart is like enlightened because they feel so, it's like a proud parent. It's like you're watching all of your kids just thrive and you can sit back and be like, that's beautiful. And I enabled that. That's a, that to me is a much bigger um, kind of jolt inside, but not everyone's well, ready and for even that. Even in our own role, right? That's kind of, as a claims professional, you don't want it to be dependent on you individually in your own life. Like doing your job properly as a claims person, someone else could step in and finish if you weren't able to. Yeah. Okay, here's all my photos. Here's my notes. Here's what Mr. Right. Smith said. Here's, they should be able to pick this. it up and move the ball. So where then, looking at it this through this lens, where then is the claim side of the industry stuck the most? Whether it's on independent or on the staff side, where are we getting stuck that we can help, whether on the ground level or at, a, at an executive level? Where 
our claims just stuck. Yeah. Well, and I've gotten to see a really strong contrast between organizations. So there's some that stand out to me where the, the people on the ground all the way up to the top, they've just said like, look, enough is enough. We see better tools out there. Let's just try them. And when you have that openness, like that's the unlock. So right from the top down to, you know, whatever, because it takes everybody. There's a willingness and an openness to say, well, why don't we see what's out there? When our customers like, why can't you X, Y, Z? Why aren't we listening to them? When the IA is literally like our eyes and ears and feet on the street, why aren't we listening to them? Or when they're not responding when we wish they would or not getting the reports turned around, why don't we ask them why instead of just being angry about it? or blaming them when the customer's like, where's, you know, where's my check? It's like, well, they haven't gotten me the report yet. Okay, well, while you're busy throwing them under the bus, do you know why they haven't gotten you the report? Is it because they're overloaded, which is what you presume, which it may be, but why are they overloaded? And like, what are their tools like? And are you making it easy to work with, you know, or are they stuck because dealing with you is this huge process. So getting you the report's really bad. It's hard. Like, are you engaging in those questions? But it takes that openness and that willingness to say like, well, what if we did it differently? Um, that, and, and I've seen the difference where like, this is working and if we break the, the way that we work, it's all gonna fall apart. And you know, we've been doing it this way for however many years and, or we can't because you know, the system versus like, well, what if we try to pilot? You know, what if we like, what we subscribe, it's a hundred bucks for a month. Like, what if we just subscribe to this tool? Cause you can do that now. You don't have to implement anything. Just get an account and subscribe and see how it works. Like these two handlers, these two field adjusters, try it and see what happens. And if it feels good, try it a little bit more and start to get some data on it. Like that's. So are you saying that the biggest hurdle you're seeing is a adaption to tools then? It's, it's the mindset technology? in the first place. So like sometimes okay. it's tools, sometimes it's process, but it's, if you're open to it, then you're willing to have that conversation to ask. And I think that's the trick is like, we're not finding out what's wrong. We're not finding out why we're getting frustrated or we're just like throwing up our hands and like, well, this is the way it is. Well, that's not, that's not good enough for customers. And I think we've all seen that in every other part of our life that like the world has moved on and there's lots of better ways of doing things. What if we were open to that for ourselves? So I, I do see these stark contrasts and it's not big versus small or old versus new. Cause I see like, I get two regional carriers in the like two and a half billion dollar range, um, similar number of states, similar age, similar makeup of people on the teams, wildly different mentality. Like everything, you know, same lines of business. So it's not like, oh, but that's because there's this massive organization or that's because they're public and these guys are mutual or none of that really matters. It's all down to people and your willingness. So the good news about that is we can all actually do it. There's no, there's no like must have that unless you're this kind of carrier or this is your profile, then you can't change. That's not true. So pulling out one more step back, because I know yeah. we're coming up to our closing here. Um, pulling out one step back, the industry as a whole, we got rocked by COVID last year. Things yep. got tossed around to and fro. Everybody wants to talk about it. But what I'm most curious about is the employment standpoint, because yeah. I'm hearing a lot of crazy things from all sides of the spectrum. You know, one carrier over here, very large carrier, won't say their name, having trouble getting people on. They yeah. can't get enough people to work. It's something yep. about the industry shifted or America's mentality shifted, whatever it is. Uh, and then other people saying, we're just laying people off because yeah. 
there. So, so what are you seeing as far as the market as a whole for adjusters? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, that, that's almost nothing new. It's just a question of who's in which camp. Cause we've had like these guys over here are laying off 10,000 people. And then we've got, uh, these guys over here are so understaffed and desperately trying to hire and they can't. So that's, that's not changed. I think the drivers of it have, have changed a bit. Um, people there actually yesterday, there's a lot of talk about this in a, in a couple of major publications, like I read something in the wall street journal yesterday. Um, uh, the work from home flexibility is a big piece of it. Remote working, all that kind of stuff. You know, people who are distance employees, um, a company's willingness to accommodate that or not is a major factor right now. And for some people it's that they don't want to work from home and they want to get back to the office and their companies decided no. And for others, it's the opposite where their company said like, thou shalt come into the office. And they're like, well, I've been home and actually I love this and I can do my job really well. And I have freedom and I don't have pressure and like whatever their reasons are. The point is just like with customers, not everyone wants the same thing. So, that flexibility is going to be important. And we are going to see pockets where one carrier will only do it one way or one company and another will do it only the other way. Neither of those is the right answer. Um, I think it's going to take some time for this to sort out, but the good news is there are a lot of jobs out there. You do have to look for them. They may not be exactly what you want or where you want. So I'm not going to say like, well, then it's on you for not finding it. It's not easy. I do know people who are struggling. Um, but there are opportunities. It may just be a bit of a search, but I know there are pockets where people are looking for literally thousands of people right now. And it's not easy. Like it, it is, there's a talent issue right now. Awesome. Well, Brian, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and the video today. And, uh, before we sign off though, uh, we, we have you coming up to present at the adjusted job fair. I'm so stoked about that. So, uh, if you haven't already got your tickets, definitely head over to adjuster job fair com to get your ticket and hear what uh, Brian's going to present and to be able to be interviewed by companies. But uh, the reason I brought you on at the timing was not about the Jester Job Fair. It was your your new book's coming out. So let people know where they need to go to support you to be informed about the industry yeah. uh, as it's changing, where do they need to go to get their book. Well, and this cover is thanks to you for pushing me to have better cover art. So that's that's a big thanks to Chris. I didn't call his cover crap, no matter what he says. No, it's not the words. You are a hundred percent right, and I'm very <laughs> thankful for it. So I'd redesign both covers. So thank you to Chris on that. Um, they can go to future-of-insurance.com or just pop on to Amazon. It's in every format you want, and it's easy to get there. And yeah, the job fair. That's a great point, though. That does matter, and that's exactly what we we're just talking about. So. There are resources to find opportunities, and uh, it's just a question of taking advantage of them. Awesome, Brian. Thanks so much. Thanks for what you're doing in the industry, and looking forward to seeing you at the job fair. Thanks, Chris. Are you dreaming of a career in auto damage, but find yourself not meeting the experience requirements? You can try the first part of our seven part auto damage certification for free. This allows you to dive deep into auto damage training with no strings attached. And if you love it, you can continue on and purchase the full program. With this certification, you gain not just in-depth knowledge and skills, but also an all-access pass to our exclusive community. 
a full year of mentorship, and yes, get the two to five year experience requirement waived with over 40 firms. Your future in auto damage begins today. Visit iPath.com to start your free trial and discover where iPath can take you. iPath. Claim your life.